On today's episode, this is the first in a two-part series that I'm going to be bringing to you on editing and using Photoshop. Because when the weather turns colder, at least for those of us here in Canada and more northerly latitudes, it's no longer Milky Way season and it's time to come inside and start to take time to edit our images. And so in today's first episode, first of two parts, we are going to be diving into what it means to edit our images. So let's get into it. Hi, I'm Christine Richet, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Well, hello and welcome back. I'm so happy to have you here and listening and on something that I am pretty darn enthusiastic about, to say the least. This is the first in a two-part episode series on editing. And this time of year is when I shift gears from educating about shooting to now educating about editing. Now, before we dive back into things, just a little update here, a little bit of a lull on the podcast this past month, not meant to be, but then again, life happens sometimes. So we had a hurricane hit, which fortunately, my particular area of the province was not hard hit. Um, And then we had sickness in my house. um, And then my dad was admitted to the hospital where he is still at. Um, So first off, just thank you. Many people follow along on my Instagram stories or Facebook stories um, and people inside the communities. A lot of people have reached out and I really, really do appreciate that. Um, You know, it's one of these things that we exist together in an online world. You're listening to me in the real world, but our connection is a virtual one. And then there is this very physical real world that we inhabit and all of these things that are are the day to day. And a lot of people have reached out saying, you know, we wish we could be there um, for you. And I just have to say that thank you for that. And it really means a lot to me to have people reach out in that manner. And on the other spectrum of it, I do when it's needed and when my family needs me. I'm very fortunate to be in a position that I can be there for them and I can take other things and hit pause. So we've had many students asking, hey, Christine, like, when are you doing your Photoshop class. You said it was starting in October. You do realize it's October. No one has said it to me in quite those terms, but let's just say I know what they're getting at. And the plan was to have it already running um, a while 
back by a while back. I mean, like a couple weeks. But again, things just change and we recalibrate and we take things and move them um, forward as as is. So today we're actually just finally finalizing dates and it will be actually Halloween that week. So the last, very last of October in the first week of November, we'll be doing our free, um, this is going to be a two-part like workshop series for Photoshop, which I'm really, really excited about. It's a little bit revamped and a little bit changed from the past, but improved as I am want to do every time Every time we redo things. I, I have new ideas. I have thoughts and, and ideas from the past. So the idea today is to actually just start talking about editing with you. And really this is, it's it's interesting because I'm in a period when I'm about to start running ads to this free workshop and training that I'm doing. And the ads world where my particular message gets put out to a lot of people who don't know me. You know me, you're here and listening to me. Even if this is the first podcast that you've listened to from me, you know me on, on some level. But ads put me out there in front of a lot of different people. And there are some very, let's say, interesting conversations that come up on my ads. Now, some people just want to be trolls. Other people, I get into a conversation with them only to realize that they're flat earthers. And I'm like, okay, well, I know my battles to fight. That is not one that I'm fighting. But sometimes the things that come up are around like, well, we should be able to create these images without editing. Why should I need editing in order to create good photographs? My photograph should be able to stand on its own without any editing. I hear that so, so often. And here's my go-to. My go-to is education. Because when I hear this from people, specifically people who are outside of the night photography or astrophotography world, but they are interested in it. And a lot of people are like, well, I want to get into it, but I don't believe in editing. When I hear that, that to me is a clear indicator of you don't necessarily understand the way in which these images are captured and the necessity of the editing. So my perspective is to, to help people understand better. And when they have more knowledge, they can make whatever decision they want to make. If they want to think that my images are like a Willy Wonka version of the universe, that's okay. Um, you know what? I can't be for everyone and my art and what I create is not for everyone. And the same is going to go for you too, which I'm sure you know, but no, we can't be for everyone. So I turn to education and helping people understand more about the process for editing, especially when it comes to night photography. And here's the thing, chances are, as a night photographer, you are going to run into this problem, this discussion at some point as well. You are going to have people commenting on your work or about your work, which it will be very clear 
that there is just a lack of understanding into what goes into it. So my hope is today's episode is going to give you new ways to deal with kind of the negative Nancys that you will find popping up in your world. And especially, especially as your work starts to be seen by more people than just family and and friends. So if you are utilizing social media in any way, let's say you're using Facebook or Instagram to show your work and there are more people coming in and seeing it, with increased visibility, with more eyes, on your work. There are more people and more interactions with your work, and not all of those are going to end up being positive. So today's episode is a way to help us around that and to think about editing in a different way and to also understand how we can communicate that with other people because it does become a fairly large part of the way that people engage with our work. You know, it's kind of funny, but now photoshopped, like it's a verb. It's a, it's something that exists. It's a verb and a noun, let's be real. And it's a bad one in general. If someone says, oh, that's photoshopped, that's a bad thing. That is not someone giving you a compliment about your work or giving a compliment to someone else's work. That is someone who has come out of whatever the work is, and they are judging it based on what they perceive to be kind of like the artist's hand, but in a way that is deceitful. Very often, this idea of photoshopping or photoshopped is linked with this feeling of deceit, almost. And we are going to talk today a little bit about ethics and my personal viewpoint on um, just what we what we say to people and how we help them understand our editing process and what I believe we should do. And again, my role here is not as the be-all end-all, but it is a person who is here to give you things to chew on, things to think about. So photoshopped comes across as a bad word. But my perspective on Photoshop is that Photoshop is a tool. It's a tool like any other. Really, for me, photography is the medium that I use to create my artwork. And when we think of it that way, photography and the camera and the editing software, whatever it is we're using, so in in my particular case, I use Photoshop. Photoshop the camera, it's all just the tool. It's the actual thing that we use. So it would be similar to a painter using their canvas and their brushes and the paints. It's the same idea. It's just the physical thing that lets me take this stuff that's in my brain and actually put it out into the world. The confusion, of course, comes with these ideas of uh, cameras as a representation of reality and kind of like that straight, this is what exists and here it is. And and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. We've talked about that um, in past podcasts and, and you'll hear me talk about it all the time because I it's something that I like to think about and it's something that I like to talk about. But what I want to impress upon you and to give you sort of the 
not the words, but the ideas to, to roll around in your head to start to put out to other people is the idea of Photoshop as a tool. One of the ways that we can think about this, if we go back, because very often when I get into this, this ad world with all of these people who are getting to be a, a little bit touchy about the fact that I'm even using Photoshop to create my images, they'll go back to dark rooms and darkroom printing. And they'll say, you know, I just wish that it was back like when we were in the darkroom. And that to me is actually quite laughable. Not that I would ever laugh at someone, but the idea itself, because the amount that you could do in a darkroom was a lot. If you were skilled in the darkroom, you could take a flat negative and turn it into something dramatic and imposing and full of life. If you've ever seen, and there are images out there, you can Google them to see the difference, but look up Ansel Adams and look up contact prints of his work. And so a contact print is like a negative is put down on paper, basically, and then you have just light is put through and that's it. It's literally, it's just that, what we would call today, the raw file. It's just uh, taking the negative and turning it into a positive, that's it. Look at the contact prints of some of Ansel Adams' work and then look at his produced darkroom prints. It's a night and day difference. I know, night and day difference, right? I try, I try and get punny um, as is applicable to night photography when I can. But it is really, it's a crazy difference between that contact print and the darkroom print. But all of a sudden, one of these things that people will now look back on kind of with rose-colored glasses is like, oh, well, we couldn't do in the darkroom the things that they did in real life. And it's like, no, like people were cutting up negatives, people were spot-toning, people were coming in and burning and dodging and doing lots of stuff in the darkroom that still looked completely real. It looked like it hadn't had any of that manipulation. It's just now that Photoshop can really take images and alter them to the point at which they are a crazy non-reality that the sort of discourse around it becomes, well, then none of it is real. Um, because you have that ability, then I choose not to believe any of it. Of course, the thing that happens here is that it, none of it is real, quote unquote, I'm air quoting here, quote unquote, real in the first place. Now, when we get into talking about editing, you will hear that, yes, I am talking about Photoshop. And here's the reason. Here's the reason why I am talking about Photoshop and not the other editing programs that are out there. It's because as a professional, I will use the tool that is the best for what I'm doing. It's the same thing. Think about a chef in their kitchen. Are they going to use a knife that they bought at uh, the dollar store? Or are they going to use a really good chef's knife? Could they do the job with a dollar store knife? Yes. But would it be done to the same level and with the same efficiency? No, definitely not. And it's really the same thing with Photoshop. So Adobe is the standard for digital imaging across the board on many things. I 
that's I was raised as a young babe on on Adobe. No, but I did. You know, I started using the Adobe Suite in 2004, and I've been using it ever since then. So sometimes people will ask me. What about these other programs? What about Affinity or what about GIMP and what about these? And I'll honestly say, I don't know. I think that the alternatives are getting better and better, but it's always kind of like they're playing catch up. And the software that works the best consistently is Photoshop. So when we talk about Photoshop, when I specifically am talking about editing, I'm talking about Photoshop. And I will use other products, depending on what specialized need I have. So am I doing things like stacking? Okay, if I'm stacking, I'm using Starry Landscape Stacker because Photoshop is, it's not built to work in that manner. Or am I upsizing? Again, Photoshop is not the best at upsizing something. I'm going to use perfect resize. Am I reducing noise? Um, There are just these technical and basically like single software alternatives that Photoshop can do some of those things, but Photoshop is a big program. So there are some programs that I will use for very, very specific features. Like I really like PTGUI for stitching together my panoramics. Often I will do what's called a vertical panoramic. People call it vertoramas, but I, I can't can't get myself around saying that. It sounds a little bit too odd for me. Uh, But I tend to do like only two. And Photoshop does not do a good job of putting together a panoramic that only has two images. PTGUI does a fantastic one. So when I'm in this conversation about editing, for the most part, what I'm talking about is Photoshop. And that's what my education and my conversation all kind of revolves around for those reasons. Now, when we start to talk about editing and we start to think about editing, why are we editing? What are our goals with with using Photoshop or learning a new program or knowing how to um, edit our images? What are our individual goals with it? And how do we get there? I think the biggest thing that we need to start with is what is the actual intention of my images? This really will determine a large part of how we interact with the software. Because if you are coming to your images with a science background, and that is how you want to portray the imagery. You want to bring something across that is as technically correct as possible. You're going to edit your images in a very different way. If you are interested in the structure of things that are existing in the universe, well, your editing is going to do things like get rid of interference from the Earth's atmosphere. So things like light pollution or things like air glow, those things don't exist or you don't want to exist maybe is the better way to say it in an image that is about let's say a particular nebula or something up in the sky you don't want to see a yellow glow from the bottom of that image because that has to do with us here on earth and it doesn't actually have anything to do with the specific nebula that you're looking at. So your process for editing becomes different based on your intention for the images. 
And that's really important. And this is why I start with most anything. What is the intent of what it is that I'm doing? That's going to change the way in which I do it. And of course, this just comes back, you know, why? So why why are we doing it? You've heard me, if you have listened to me talk at any point ever, you have heard me talking about the importance of why. And when it comes to why am I creating images of the night sky, for me personally, that intention always comes back to connection, storytelling, and feeling. And it's those three things are always swirling around in in a cocktail in my head when I'm creating images. And it's partly self-expression for me in the act of creation, which is something that I feel deeply called to do. And also just, I just need to. It's just, it's my way to interact with the world, I think. And the other part of that is that I get so much from being able to share that with people. So that's where that connection comes into play. That's where understanding the feeling comes into play. That's where my hopefully ever increasing ability to storytell comes into play. So those three things, connection, storytelling, feeling, they become really the roadmap for how I use Photoshop, for how I utilize the tool to bring my vision into reality. If you were to come up with your intention around your image making, and I would challenge you to do this, if you haven't already, come up with two to three words that would just describe your intent with creating images on a larger scale. We don't need to get too meta about this. We just want to be able to have a a big picture understanding of why it is we're doing what we're doing. And then that big picture will start to influence how you actually use the software. And especially if you're someone who is coming to the world of editing in a new way, this becomes really important because yes, there is a technical piece to using Photoshop. And on the same token, there is also a very creative piece to using Photoshop. So we will have certain specific things that we need to learn how to do. And that's something that I will get into on a a much more granular level in the um, free training that I have coming up and something that I will talk about more in the second part to this two-part Photoshop editing podcast mini-series that I have going on here. But the that those technical things that, okay, I have to learn this. I have to know where this particular layer goes. I have to understand what this button does and, and how I click this and move this and uh, all the things. All those things that we let ourselves get very overwhelmed with in the learning process. That's important and necessary. But then how that is applied to the actual act of editing and how we are editing, that comes back to that intention that we have with our images. And the way in which we actually start to develop what people would call our style, it 
all revolves around this. And I find a lot of times when I see people who haven't thought about this before, they haven't necessarily taken the time to to just get a little bit quiet and actually think about the process of creation for you specifically, not for anyone else. It doesn't matter what other people are doing it for or why, but for you specifically. When I see others who haven't done that, developing how you want to edit in Photoshop becomes hard. You can learn the technical pieces. You can learn the this button does this, I have to do it in this order, but then actually applying it to your images and your thoughts, that's when it gets to be a little bit more tricky. So having this intent behind what do we want our images to do? How do we want people to interact with them? What is important to me about image making? That is going to give you such a leg up on when you start editing and when you're editing your images. And I know that's probably not the first thing that people are gonna think I would say for like, what's important about learning Photoshop? Probably that's not what people would expect, but in the long run, you can learn any of the technical. It helps to have someone who knows what they're doing to help you along with that. That's the whole reason that I run a Photoshop course in the off season. But there's a lot more to it that makes a person successful. And the reason for that, I personally think, is because Photoshop is a big program and you can do a ton inside of it. Photoshop is not only used by photographers. Like you would think it is called Photoshop. So right, Photoshop. So it is a shop for working on photos. Um, and I kind of like that that metaphor. You know, I grew up as a carpenter's daughter and we have a wood shop. I spent a lot of time out in that, uh, in the wood shop. I spent a lot of time actually on, uh, in the places that my dad worked. Like I would be the girl with the, the young girl with a broom, just pushing it around, sweeping up sawdust. And I loved it, by the way. I don't know why, but it was very pleasing to me to get into the shop with my dad. And he would be, he'd be the foreman or he'd be working in the office. And I'd be out there with all the guys in the shop and just cleaning up the sawdust. Anyways, it's just very, very therapeutic to be like, yes, it's all gone. And then they would cut more wood. And I'd be like, I could do it again. I don't know if that is necessarily the sane reaction to having to repeat the same thing over and over again. But anyways, it's what I liked. And to this day, if I smell like sawdust, it is a very calming smell for me. Um, actually, if you see my my garage, it is half converted. Uh, half of it is for leatherworking, which is something I took up a few years ago when we had a very bad winter and I was going stir crazy before before I had kids. So I guess a lot of years ago now at this point. Uh, and the other part is for woodworking. Much to my husband's chagrin, he, he wishes that we could always park two cars in it, but we park two cars when we have to because there's going to be a blizzard, but otherwise I'm doing stuff in there. So the idea of Photoshop, the program being like a shop for working on photos, that would make one think that it is used exclusively by photographers. 
but yeah, it's totally not. <laughs> like it's really is not. Many, many different types of creators are using Photoshop for a lot of different reasons. And that's something we'll talk about that in the free training that I have coming up. But it, it bears importance to bring up here because there's so much that you could do. How do you start to decide what to do? How do you start to decide where to start? And then how do you know when to stop? And understanding the different things that exist inside the program that are utilized by different creative professionals becomes important because then we can say like, okay, yeah, I could do all of these things, but generally that's something that's used by another creative professional. I don't have to think about that. Um, I don't have to learn that bit. I don't have to internalize all of that moving forward. So once we have this in our brain, we have the idea of here's my intention with using Photoshop and here's what I'm hoping to get out of my images on a much higher level, not the here's what I actually want my images to look like, but here are the emotions that I want to elicit with people. Here are the, you know, this final goal of interaction that comes from our images. This is kind of what I want. Then we get into specifically how is night photography different than other genres of photography? How does night photography change the way that we use Photoshop? Because as photographers, we can use Photoshop for a variety of different image types and night photography is potentially one of the most unique. Maybe, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> maybe I just want to say that because it's my genre, it's what I do. I am a unique snowflake and so is my particular genre of photography. Uh, but no, you know, I, I've done a lot of types of photography over the year, years, more years than I sometimes like to admit. And I have found that night photography tends to have the most specific little things about it that you need to understand in order to do it well. Now it shares a lot with other genres and I have these four pillars of Photoshop that I get into um, in my main training. It's how I base all of my work and there are these similarities and you can use these for all of the different ways that you want to edit different pictures. But night photography, it's like long exposure photography, which some people like, like long exposure waterfalls or that type of stuff, right? People will talk about long exposure photography. It's like that, but like on steroids, right? It's like the if you had two people walking into a room, um, long exposure photography would be someone who's just like weight building or uh, strength training and just, you know, likes to pick up weights at the gym. And then you have someone comes in who's like part of a competition and they have been working hard, not saying that they've been taking steroids, but they've been working like crazy hard. Like that's kind of like the way in which and the level of specificity that night photography is as opposed to other genres of photography. And this even came up, not wait, 
lifting. <laughs> um, but this idea of night photography and astrophotography, when I had my show, my solo exhibition over the summer, and I was talking with the gallery owner and the assistant, I was talking with Deborah and Lindsay, and it was this idea of, okay, your work is up. How do we talk about this to people? Like, what, what do we say to people to take what it is that you do that is, is highly, highly specific and specialized and communicate it to people who don't know anything about it? And that was an interesting conversation to have because most often I am talking directly to people who want to take pictures like I do. Um, I don't get to talk to my collectors as much or the individuals who are purchasing my work but have no interest in creating it as well. And of course, at the gallery, that's what they do. They are that um, that sort of access to um, people who enjoy but do not wish to practice. So we had to have a conversation around, well, how do we talk about the work that you create? And how does Photoshop come into it? How do we talk about the editing process and the real versus not real and, and all of those things that come up? And I think the the nebulous that it came back to, like this this tiny point, if we were to condense everything into a, a small little point, it came back to the idea of Photoshop as being used as a tool. It is just another tool in my toolbox, like a different type of brush is a tool in a painter's toolbox. It's that same idea. But it gets, I think, a little bit deeper than that. Because with night photography specifically, we are photographing the unseen, especially if we, if we really want to take this to the next level, when we start doing things like using an astro-modified camera. So a camera that now becomes sensitive to hydrogen alpha emissions. That is something that we do not see. Our eyes do not see that light. They just don't. But it still exists. It is still real. And now all of a sudden, we can modify our camera in order to capture this. It brings more color to the night sky. It brings more beauty. But it's something that we don't see. It is this unseen. And I think that's kind of the crux of like night photography in general is that our cameras are able to capture what we cannot perceive. We can show that which exists, but that we don't perceive. That, I think, is a huge thing to help understand and communicate about night photography, because Photoshop just becomes the tool to enhance that and to enhance it in a way that aligns with our particular vision of how we want our images to look. But when we get into these things like, okay, now we're going to be using just, we're going to be using a camera that can see hydrogen alpha, or maybe we even take it to the next steps where we start to use narrow band filters. And so a narrow band filter, it's literally when we think about light, light comes in wavelengths, a narrow band filter, it's most often used in deep sky astrophotography work, but it can be used in different and in wide angle um, 
sort of landscape work as well. But narrowband photography is literally looking at like just this small little band of light. So just this wavelength of light. That's all that it's capturing. Now, we can't perceive reality like that. There is just no way. And especially when you get into like really heavily into narrowband imaging, you know, you might be talking four or six, 10 minute exposures, depending on the type of gear that people are using, just to capture enough of that light. Our eyes don't work in that way. We just, we cannot interact with reality in that way. And if you think about it, well, why would we? Right? Like we exist here in this form that we're in today because of how we have evolved. And has there been a need to see into deep space with our eyes? No, there's no survival or evolutionary reason that we would need to do that. So it makes sense that we can't. But it's pretty darn cool that our cameras can and that we're able to start to capture more than what we can see and then show it in a way that we can see it. Okay, so it maybe we've gone on a little bit of a rabbit hole down the, you know, hydrogen alpha narrowband filters, all of that kind of stuff. But let's take it back a notch because even when we are just using a basic camera, like super basic um, entry-level digital SLR with an 1855 millimeter lens on a tripod, just using the self-timer, the way that many of us start this type of foray into night photography, before we get into knowing things about like trackers and stacking and all the, all the things that come when we enjoy night photography and decide we want to learn more and do more, when we just start out with that really base level equipment, we are still capturing more than the eye can perceive. We are still photographing the unseen. And that means this genre of photography is very different than other genres of photography. I like to talk about the idea of light at night and how there is always light. Um, you know, there it might just be less, <laughs> but it is always there, like the idea of starlight. And you, you've probably heard me at some point talk about how excited I get about reflections, starlight reflections that I can see or that I can photograph, one of my favorite things. When we are looking at night photography, it's just, there's a lot less light around. And so the camera and whatever else we use, whether we're using a star tracker, whether we're using filters or whatever it is that we're doing, that just allows us to record that light in a way that our eyes can't. Now, when we're doing that, there become technical constraints on editing. Because when we are capturing light over such a longer period of time and light that is coming from so far away, the way that we edit has to become different. When the process of creation is very different from what the bulk of other people are doing to create the same thing, because the thing that we get is a raw file. I can go out with jazz and throw a stick and uh, 
do like 20 images of her running back at me with her ears flailing and spit going everywhere. The end file that I get is a raw file, the exact same as what I get when I am done taking a picture at night. But the way that it was photographed and created was so different that then the way that we edit has to match. It also has to be different. There are different things that we need to understand. Now, we can take a really long time on this. This is why I've broken this up into two parts. So we'll talk more about this in the second part. And if you are tuning into the podcast live, you'll be able to come on my free training as well, where we really get into this idea. Um, just a quick little side note. I really should have had my camera out. Jazz came in the backyard from the backyard yesterday. And my husband was there and he's like, you gotta look at this before I clean it. Um, I wish I had had my camera with me. It's one of those moments when I'm like, I should leave my camera in the kitchen. And she just had like this full thing of drool right up across her nose and all the way back down. Um, anyways, just, you know, she's a lab. She's not a, a, a bloodhound or anything. But sometimes it's like, how did you even manage that jazz? Anyways, so this idea of shooting our images in a different way, therefore means editing our images in a different way. And that becomes the crux of learning Photoshop as a night photographer and learning how we edit. So we have that piece that then interacts with the piece of what is our actual intention with these images, because that will inform how we end up utilizing Photoshop. All of this kind of comes together in this perfect storm of how do we edit our images. But I think the thing that becomes the most important, outside of what does the image actually look like when we're done with it? <laughs> and does it look like how we want it to look? I mean, that's a, a whole other conversation. But we start to change how we actually think about editing, it will change how we actually start to shoot and create. Because I don't know if this will resonate with you, but very often we can get a little, what do I want to say, intimidated by the software, by the technical pieces, by the things that we have to do. And I personally, I find we kind of get two camps. Or, or I, at least, um, in my in my world, I kind of get two camps. I get the people who are like very technical oriented and they're like, okay, yeah, I can do this. Like, just give me the steps. Okay, I can do this. Bang, bang, bang. Here we go. And then I ask them to think about why they're doing it. And they're like, whoa, 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 Christine, like, who are you to ask that to me? And then we get the other camp of people who are like, they are, I say, let's think about why you're shooting, et cetera. And they're like, yeah, okay. They might not have the answers right away, but they're willing to dive into it. And then I say, okay, now if you want to start creating this, this is now the time when we get into Photoshop. And that will be something that we talk about in next week's episode, where where does Photoshop actually come into play? Like when do we actually need to use it? Because you may be surprised, we don't always have to use Photoshop in our images. But I get these people who are like, oh, 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 oh. editing? Photoshop? No, 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 that's my kryptonite. That's not something that I can do. But we can start to have a bit of a mindset shift around 
editing our images. And we can start to think of it more so as this tool in our tool belt that when we know what we want to do. So, hey, remember that previous episode, the one where we do start with the end in mind? Well, if you come along with me on this podcast, the next, and then the free training, you're going to hear a lot more about that. When we start to start with the end in mind, especially with Photoshop, and we've done the work where we've thought about how we're creating, why we're creating, all of a sudden, the technical process becomes just a matter of, well, okay, this is the end thing that I want. And these are now the steps that get me there. And yes, we do have to learn those actual steps to get there. But it's no longer this big, scary blank page. I don't know if you've you've ever had that feeling where you're looking at a blank page and you're like, what do I do with this? It's the same idea, and this is something I used to do in my intro photo classes, where I would give some kind of like exercises for creativity almost, but specific to using your camera and um, just different exercises just to get people out of our heads. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get into my head and uh, we've talked about this as well. Getting into our head is not the way to be creative. Um, in the last episode with the episode about ideas and ideation, we talked about this quite a bit, but when we're inside of our head, our this is our thinking brain that's doing stuff. It is not our subconscious working. So I would have these exercises that I would run through with my students. It would always depend on who the group was, you know, you have to read the room. Some people it's not going to be useful for and others it is. But one of those were, well, many of them, but they revolved around the idea of setting pretty strict limitations. And those limitations could be uh, walk five steps and take a picture. Every five steps that you walk, you take a photograph. Or it could be um, go out and shoot with only one lens or one focal length. So let's say you have like an 18 to 55 millimeter lens, set it at 24 millimeters and that's all you can shoot with. Or you can only shoot at this time of the day or just putting different limitations onto the creative process. And the reason that that works so well is because all of a sudden, when we are working within these boundaries, we no longer are limitless. When things are limitless, when we have that complete blank slate, the complete blank page, we have all of Photoshop to work with. I could do anything. We sometimes just do nothing because it's hard to come up with anything to start with. So imposing limitations in creation can give you the ability to be more creative. And it is similar to our editing journey. It is similar to when we're starting out with editing, or if you're farther down the line in your editing journey, where when we start to understand exactly what it is we want to create, we then narrow down the ways in which we use the technology significantly. And that makes everything 
easier. All of a sudden, it's just about, okay, well, I need to hone this particular skill or this particular skill. Okay, I've learned X, Y, and Z to get started. And now I need to know just these smaller things. You know, I see this I run the Photoshop class yearly. Um, I used to do it twice, but I spread it out now. So basically I run it um, like November, December, January. Uh, So it's only seven weeks worth of classes, but I spread that out over three months so that people have more time to parse and catch up and have time to be in the program while we're doing it. And I've been doing this now since 2020. So now, we're getting into where I've had some people who went through the Photoshop class a couple years now, and I see how their images are evolving and the things that they want to do with their images are evolving in a very specific manner. And it's interesting because we have these people who have been in kind of the same, I call them cohorts. So when people Um, sign up together, they get put into a cohort, and everyone comes into the same group so we can have communal knowledge and learning. But we do have people that sign up at the same time, so they're a cohort. I see people of the same cohort starting to be like, well, now I'm interested in learning how to do this, or now I want to know how to do this. And it becomes a very natural progression through what they have originally wanted to do with their images to then learning how to do that. And then the next step opens up. And it's, you know, that's with anything, with competency in something that's going to the more that you are competent at something, the more your confidence grows and the more confident that you get, the more willing you are to try new things. So I would leave you with one more thing I want to talk about on today's podcast, but I would leave you with the idea that when we are on this editing journey, we understand the differences with night photography versus other types of photography. And we also understand that allowing ourselves to hone in very specifically on what we're doing and giving yourself the room to learn that and to not learn everything is something that will help you tremendously in the long run. It will just make your life easier. And that is going to come from what we've been talking about. It's going to come from knowing what you want to do with your images. So if you know the kind of end result or interaction that you want your images to have the feelings you want to elicit in people, the conversations you want to come up, then you can start to reverse engineer. And this is something we'll do in the free training that I I get excited about because it helps people look at their images, but also images that we see everywhere in a different way. So you can then reverse engineer that. And then all of a sudden, now you only have to learn some very specific things in order to do that. And then that is an actionable goal that you can take on and you can get started with, as opposed to Photoshop being this huge, massive thing where it's like, but I can't, I just, I can't, you know? It's like you look at a huge pile of dirt that needs to be moved into the garden and you say, why didn't the dump truck just back up another eight feet and dump it there? It'd be so much closer. Anyways, not like I'm talking from personal experience or anything here. 
but once you start to pick away at it just that one piece at a time all of a sudden things start to become more manageable and then you get to start to learn more you get to start to do more so that competence breeds confidence the confidence breeds what else can i do now the last bit that i do want to end with today is ethics and photography and photoshop and night photography because yeah we can create anything in photoshop anything and make it be believable i like to show when i was introducing photoshop to students um, at NASCAD University where I used to teach. And we would be getting into the the kind of start of Photoshop. We didn't go deep into Photoshop, but I would just give like a little bit of an introduction so people could get their feet wet, you know? And on that first class, I always showed this Dove, um, it was a commercial that they did. And they brought in these models and they showed the photo shoot. And then they showed the editing. And so they edited these models in two different ways. They made them like super, super skinny and just like almost to the point of gauntness. And then they went in the other direction. And if you had just seen either image, it would have been completely believable. And that is really the crux of why people use Photoshop as that that bad word. So Photoshop as a, a negative noun or verb, however we are talking about it, because, yeah, we can do anything. Um, I will say I am really darn good at Photoshop, and that comes from constant use over a long time. Um, I started using Photoshop 18 years ago, and in my profession working as a, a graphic designer, product designer, um, for a toy company, you know, when we first started, when I first started that job, there were not a lot of people working at that company. I think there was like was maybe the twelfth person. It was not out of the ordinary to work seventy-hour weeks, not bi-weekly, weekly. You know, being at work until midnight, one, two a.m., and most of my days were spent in Photoshop. And when you spend that much time with something, you get real good at it. And I could take most anything and make it look real. Absolutely could. That's where this conversation of ethics comes into play. And I invite you to take this and chew on it and decide how you feel about it. Personally, for myself, when it comes to night photography, I understand that night photography is a very different genre from many other types of photography that are out there, and that things I do to images that are night photographs would be considered too much to an image of like a portrait or a house that, you know, if I treated, let's say like an architectural real estate image, if I treated that image in the same way that I treated, um, my nightscape images, it would be like people would get to the house and be like, uh, this looks nothing like the pictures. By the way, you know, it, it's a different level of work that goes into them. So from its base level, I understand that because of the experience that I have with editing and just, you know, being a photographer. This is something that you understand as well. 
people who are, let's say a layman or a woman or a person, they're not necessarily going to understand that. I am not going to come out and talk about those pieces to the general public because they just won't understand. So when I am putting forth images that are more of a true representation, they still are not a representation. You can probably hear it in my voice, but I hesitate to use that particular language because none of it is actually a representation, but things that people would consider to be. So where it's everything is taken from the same tripod position, the same time of the night, it's just multiple images that are being put together, etc. I don't find the need to communicate that with the general public. Now, when people ask me, like, how did you do this? I'll have lots of photographers who are like, oh, well, did you do this or this, that type of stuff? They want to know technique. And I am happy to talk technique about anything um, that I put out there. But when I am creating images and I am taking images from different nights or from different places, when I'm doing what we call in the astrophotography world, the night photography world, I composite, which I say in the astrophotography world, because in the big wide world of art and creation, pretty much everything that we do as astrophotographers, except for single images, would be considered a composite. But when I do what we consider a composite, so from different tripod positions, from different nights, that type of thing, I will always disclose that. And I do this for a couple reasons. I do it because I want people to understand what is possible especially from my position as someone who's an educator, people will look at my images. I don't want to be putting stuff out there and purporting it as a blend or a single or a more easy image and then have other people try to go out and recreate it and be like, well, why can't I do this? Because then it gets into the whole like, she could do it, but I can't do it. Then what's wrong with me? And why can't I? And you know, it gets into all of that. I want to make sure that I am being truthful and what I'm putting across in that manner so that people can learn and they can have more accurate information. In a culture such as the one we exist in, um, I do my best to keep um, the information that's put out there parsable and accurate for people. So that's kind of my own personal ethos. I will sometimes talk about the technique behind an image if I think it is useful to understanding the overall image, but I will always talk about if it is a composite image. And it might be a larger part of how I talk about it, or it might just be like, you know, a postscript at the end to just say this image was taken on multiple nights or it was taken between different places or something like that. And even as I as I say this, the next thing right now that I have kind of in my head, it will be largely composite based. I don't know if it will go anywhere. You might never see anything from it. I, I don't know. Um, but the thoughts and ideas that I have right now are more around storytelling and the particular images. It's more about a memory. And of course, we all know how memory distorts reality in in so many ways. And conveying that would happen more so in composite work. That's something that I would be very upfront with people about. And even to the point where, you know, some people would say that's digital art, and I might not disagree with them. So 
I think it just becomes important to understand the level at which you are working on your images and how you want to communicate that with people and doing so with a level of integrity and honesty. That's, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is coming out whatever it is that you're doing, and this is photography or as many things I talk about, life in general, coming at it in a way that we are open and honest and we're not trying to make people think that it's one way or the other. Um, And I, I try not to go on too much of a tangent here, but you know, sometimes in the past, when I had been learning and putting stuff out there, like I wouldn't always want to talk about how I did it because I felt like other people were doing and creating things in a more maybe natural way, which can I should air quotes with my natural. And that all the stuff that I had to do with mine meant that mine wasn't as good or it wasn't as real. And, and, you know, there was all of that kind of that comparison game coming into play or thinking maybe that my work was less than because it was put together in such a way. And there, there is a lot of that in the photography world and the photography community. So (laughs) I want to caution, you know, yes, we should have this, this, thought on ethics when it comes to using Photoshop and when it comes to editing. But we also, I would say, need to be careful not to go too far in the other direction to the um, Puritan level where what can start to happen in those conversations is that people can start to get alienated. Um, You know, maybe someone really wants to create a beautiful image of a mountain top um, and the scenic overlook with the Milky Way, but maybe they're not in a position where they can do that hike in the middle of the night. So they do that hike during the day and they do a day to night composite of it. Well, then someone else comes along and they have the conversation of like, oh, well, you know, I went through X amount of blood, sweat and tears to create this image. And it was all here. And my tripod was all in the exact same place at the exact same time. And so therefore my image is a better image or something like that. I'm not saying that everyone says that. So <laughs> not, I'm not calling out anyone specifically here, but I think it's a, it's about this context and understanding that it's all creation. We're all creating things. And there is not a better or a worse way to create, but there is a better or worse way to talk about how we create and to put that up against others. And it comes into this final bit really on ethics, etc. It comes into, I would say, two camps. So communicating with general public, which is not you or I, and then communicating with other creators. And the former can be difficult because there's lots of different levels of education and knowledge and awareness around what it is that we do. And the latter can be difficult because there is such a level of understanding around what we do and very, hmm, how do I say this politically correctly? Um, just let's say strong opinions that exist. So. I think that's that's where I want to end off for today because we are going to talk more in uh, the second episode of our two-part. We're going to talk more about actually Photoshop and the um, 
practical things about creating our images. And so if you're left today wanting a little bit more, you know, you're like, okay, I get it, Christine. I get what my intention is. I get that I'm going to like just be paying attention to a few certain things, but like, what do I actually do? How do I get started? Give me actionable things. I will do that. But we are already over an hour at this point, And I like to try and keep my, my podcasts, my conversations with you to about that point. So we will come back next week and we will dive into those more practical things that we need to start talking about. So thank you for being here with me today. It's lovely to be back behind the mic with you. And I would love to know what you think about this topic. Um, We do have a Facebook group for this podcast. You can find that on the podcast website. So if you go to afterdarkphotographypodcast.com, you will see there's a link up there in the show notes. It will take you there. Um, We have lots of people in there and some interesting conversations that happen, which is always really appreciated. There's one thread that I particularly love that's going on right now where people are posting their first images that they ever took, which is just super fun. So that's a fantastic place to share the conversation. And I would also say if there are things in here that have benefited you that you think would benefit others, I love as well for you to share the podcast on your Facebook or Instagram stories or anything like that. And if you do that, please tag me at Christine Rose Photography because it it warms my heart to see it. So thank you for being here with me today. And I will catch you next week right here on the After Dark Photography Podcast.